Jesus, when he says, hey, pray like this, he first lays out who we're talking to. It's our Father in heaven. And so knowing who we're talking to in prayer is really, really important. It's going to shape the way we approach God, I think. If we don't know who we're talking to, it's going to shape how we engage and interact with him in our prayer life. And I love the very first thing he says. He says that God is our Father, our Father in heaven. Now that word Father may mean something different to to the different people in this room, depending on what your earthly father experience has been. It could be a, a term that is very comforting to you to think of God as your father, or there might be some hurdles you need to get get over because of the father examples you've seen. I don't know where you are at personally, but God as our as our father, it's meant to be a term of, of endearment. It's meant to be something that hey, God is the perfect father. There's no father on earth that could ever meet the standards of what our earthly father is. But think about what, what should a father be for their, for their children? It's, they sh- he should be loving. He should be accessible. He should be there for them. And so Jesus pointing out that, hey, we can approach God and call him our father is something that we should just marvel at. Especially if you go into the context of when Jesus said it, in first century Judaism, calling God your father was not something that, that really happened. Like God was in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. God was, was far away. God was glorious and majestic. Like he was God and we are, we are he's the creator, we're a creature. And like we need that. But the idea that, hey, I can approach God as my father. He's accessible to me. He loves me. He's for me. That would have been a radical thought for Jesus pointing that out to people. And we, we can't miss that. That we're not praying to a God who doesn't care. He's a God that greatly cares. In fact, I think he cares more about your life and my life than we probably care about our life. Because he's the one who said, hey, I wanted to create a universe and I wanted you to be in it. And so he is our heavenly Father. In some other places, Jesus uses the word Abba, Abba, Father. You can look that up. In, in Mark 14, he cries out, Abba, Father. And the, the closest English translation we have is this idea of Daddy. Think of that. Jesus talking to the God of the universe as his dad. Think of that, that term, Daddy, what it implies. It's just there's this closeness, there's this intimacy intimacy there there's this trust there's this i'm going to rely on you because you're my you're my dad and so the first thing i want us to see today is that god is a loving accessible father and we're approaching god as a loving accessible father we can come to him openly honestly clumsily like a little kid would to their dad and what I, what I love about this term father is it highlights the reality that prayer is a relational experience, not a transactional process. You know what I mean by that? You know, I go to the store and I experience a transactional process with, with the cashier. When I go to Amazon, I, it's a transactional process. I look for the things I want. I pay them the money. They send it to my house. It's not a relationship. But when we approach God... As our Father, He is, we're approaching Him in relationship. 
And again, that was something that would have been far off for for many of Jesus' hearers. And I think it can be far off for us today. Because we can often, because we're, we're dealing with a relationship with someone who we can't physically see, and he is the creator and we are the creature, there are just natural, naturally some just barriers there. But Jesus, right away, when teaching us how to pray, says, hey, he's your father. Don't forget it. You can approach him like that. So that's one side of who we're approaching. But then Jesus says, he says, he doesn't just say, he's, hey, he's your father. He says, hey, he's your father in heaven. And he says, may your name be kept holy. Talking to God, our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Now, there are um, other, other versions of the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you've memorized it where it says, hallowed be your name. Um, hallowed. Uh, when someone hollows something, it's the idea of, hey, revering it or keeping it holy or uh, setting it aside for worship and saying, hey, this is special. I need to revere it because it's, it's worth revering. And so when we keep God's name holy, we are, we are worshiping him. And because he is our father in heaven, whom we are called to worship, God is one, a loving, accessible father, but he's also a sovereign heavenly king. He's in heaven. He's, he's, he's not here on earth. He's in heaven where he's being worshipped always by spiritual beings. He's in heaven ruling over all things. He is sovereign over this universe. And so his name should be kept holy. His name should be worshipped. And so let me ask you, do you ever take time to just tell God how great he is? Or how much you treasure him in your prayer life? The prayers that come out of your mouth or in your head, the things that you say to God, is it ever just, is it ever just a worship? Just in awe of, of God for who he is. Worship is way more than just singing on a Sunday morning. It's something we get the privilege of doing wherever we are. Because God is our sovereign heavenly king. And so we have two things we have to balance here when we approach God. One, he is a father figure who we have full access to, but then also he is our king. We are his subjects. He is sovereign. He is creator. And we are creature. A number of years ago, there was a violinist who went and he played in a metro station in a big city. And uh, I don't know if you've been to a city and you've heard someone just playing on a street corner or whatnot. Um, but he went and he was playing in, in a metro and he was playing this classical music. And I don't know if you've been in a metro, but there's lots of people. They're busy heading somewhere. Um, and he's playing and there's hundreds, if not thousands of people who are just passing him by. And he's playing all sorts of classical music, but he was right there. Anyone who was walking by could have stopped and listened. They could have seen him. They could have, at when he was done, talked to him. He was fully accessible. But this guy who was playing the violin normally wasn't very accessible because he was one of the most world-famous violinists. His name is Joshua Bell. He, he was known as a child protege as a violinist. Like his violin is literally worth millions of dollars. In a concert to go see him, I looked it up. The cheapest tickets I could find were $48, but most were ranging in like 
hundreds to upwards of $462 to hear this guy play classical music. That's not very accessible, at least for me. But think about that. At that one moment, he was both fully accessible on the metro to any person, but he was also at the same time the world-famous violinist. The awesome thing is that Joshua Bell, the next day he would have been on stage, he would not have been that accessible. But our God is always accessible, and he is always our sovereign king. He is both. And so we get to approach him all the time. He's fully accessible, and he is our creator. So we need to process that as we uh, seek to uh, learn about prayer. We need to remember, who are we talking to? We're not just talking to the ceiling like Pastor Corey pointed out last week. We're not talking to someone who's just a, a father figure who we can come to. No, he's also a king, so we should revere him. But he's also not just a king whom we should revere. He's a father figure who, who's for us. He's not against us. And so we have to hold both of those things in tension when we come before God. Now moving on, moving to verse 10. It says, Our Father in heaven, um, may your name be kept holy. And then it says, May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your, will, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's two petitions here. One, it's for God's kingdom, and one, it's for God's will. And both of these things kind of flow out of what we've already looked at in verse 9. Because if we're approaching God as our heavenly Father and as, our, as the King of heaven, and we're worshiping and keeping his name uh, holy and revering him, then we're going to naturally more so want his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. If, if we're not remembering to worship God for who he is, for his name, for his glory, then we're probably not going to want his kingdom to come soon or for his will to be done. But, but think about this. What, what is a kingdom? A kingdom is something that is, is ruled by a sovereign, by a king. And I love stories with like medieval knights and like thinking about that time period. But oftentimes in those stories, you get kings, you get rulers who are corrupt. Where living in their kingdom is not a blessing. Where they use and abuse their subjects. I mean, I think about Robin Hood, I think about Prince John, how he's just constantly just taxing the heart and soul out of the poor people. But the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that we desperately, desperately, desperately need. It's ruled by the greatest king ever, who also has the most love for you and me. Then More love than we could have for ourselves, more love than anyone else could have for us. He is fully for us. We're, as Christians, we're living in a kingdom with a king who is fully for us. The kingdom of God is the hope of this world. The idea that God's kingdom would come and that people would enter into it by faith because Jesus died on the cross for their sins, that is the hope for our world, that people would be saved. All the human kingdoms of this world will ultimately, at some point, just continue to perpetuate the evil of this world, of pride and selfishness and sin. 
But God's kingdom has come to save us from that. Even from our own personal kingdoms. Because don't we try to do that in life? Don't we try to build our own little kingdoms? We look forward to, hey, I can, I can manage my life this way, and I can, I can get this right job, and I get this right house, and I get, I get my family looking like this, and all these sorts of things. And we build our kingdom, and as human beings, we're sinful and flawed, and we're going to make mistakes. And our kingdoms, our earthly kingdoms, they're all going to go away someday. The only eternal kingdom is Jesus' kingdom, and it's the kingdom that we truly truly need. Jesus, when he first stepped onto the scene in Matthew 4, 17, he talks about how, he says, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven has come when Jesus came, but it's not fully established yet. It's this already not yet reality. It's already come but one day it's going to fully be realized when Jesus returns. And we read about that in Revelation when Jesus returns and when he makes all things new and he creates the new heavens and the new earth. We will live in his physical kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. Our kingdom will pass away. The kingdoms of this world will pass away. And that's good. The only kingdom we need is Jesus' kingdom. And so, do we pray desiring God's kingdom? Do we pray desiring for that to continue to be seen here in this world? Do we pray longing and hoping for the day when this world is finally made new? I don't know about you, but I don't often think about that when I approach God. I don't often think about, man, today the greatest thing would be if Jesus returned. And made all things new. And fixed everything. Like that would be awesome. Because I usually focus on the here and now. I get fixated on my own kingdom rather than Jesus' kingdom. Now the next part, it says, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Again, these things are very closely related. Um, They're kind of uh, ambiguous a little bit. This idea of. What does it mean for God's will to come now? There's been different understandings of this throughout the years. But think about this. It's this idea of, hey, I want God to have his way in all things. What God wants, I want that to be done in my life, in my family, in my marriage, in the big things, in the little things. I want God's will to be done, not my will to be done. And I think what Jesus is challenging us here. With when we, he says, hey, pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. It's really challenging our priorities, I think. Because often, I, I, at least for me, I'll speak for me, I can approach God as a transactional process where it's like, hey, I come to you, God, so I can get this, rather than a relational experience where it's, God, I'm going to glorify you for who you are, and I'm going to pray for the things that are on your heart, God. I'm going to pray for the things that you want for this world, God. Because you have no sin in you, and the things I want can often be corrupted and twisted by my sinful heart, but you want the right things, the best things for this world. So that's what I'm going to pray for. And so my question is, what are your prayer priorities? 
These instructions Jesus is giving us, I think, really get at that. We have to think about that. What are we prioritizing in our prayers? I think Jesus is instructing us to pray God-centered prayers, not me-centered prayers. And I do believe that that's a challenge for us as 21st century Americans, where our culture, it just bombards us with this sense of, it's all about you. You're the center of the universe. You can get what you want when you want. It's, I mean, I love Amazon. It's amazing, but it's programmed me to like if they if it's one day late, whatever I buy, I get mad. It's just like, oh, come on, like I'm used to getting it as soon as I want it. And so I think we can have a problem, or there's a challenge to to think about prayers. You know, maybe a prayer isn't just about me taking all my requests to God. Maybe it's me sitting with God in a relationship experience and thinking about, he's a person too. He has some some desires on his heart. Maybe I should ask him what those are. And maybe I should pray for those things to happen in my life rather than say, God, I think these are the things that should happen in my life. Now, I don't think, I don't think taking our requests to God, our needs to God is a bad thing as we're going to see very soon. But we have to... I think sit with this idea of what are our prayer priorities. Because we see Jesus model this really well in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, 39, Jesus, the night before he is crucified, he says this. He says, it says, He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Think about that. Jesus, he's pouring out his heart to his heavenly father. And he's like, you know what? I really don't want to suffer all of this. But if that's your will, I'm going to do it. And so what are our prayer priorities? For Jesus, it was being in communication with his heavenly father, having that relationship experience and seeking to glorify his heavenly father and do his will first and foremost. And I believe if we prioritize these things of worshiping God, of seeking his kingdom to come and his will to be done, I believe that greatly helps us avoid praying the wrong way, like Pastor Cord pointed out last week. Those prayers of pride that we looked at last week, if we are humbling ourselves to glorify God and humbling ourselves to seek his kingdom and humbling ourselves to seek his will in our life, um, there, it doesn't leave much room for pride to build up. Now, I know for me as a, a sinful, fickle human being, I could still have pride weave its way in there, but if I'm putting God first, it's, there's a much greater chance that I'm going to pray in humility and in honesty, desiring the right things and not doing it the wrong way like we looked at last week. So what are your prayer priorities? I'd encourage you, maybe set some time aside to process that this week. Just process, hey, the last week, the last month, like this season of my life, what are the main things that I'm praying for? What are the main things I'm taking to God? Have I ever just sat and praised him for who he is? Or is it just purely, gimme, 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 I need this, I need this. Like, What, what are those prayer priorities? Because up until this point in Jesus' instruction, 
It's all been about God first. And I think we need to take that seriously. But we have one more verse we're going to look at. It's verse 11. And it says this. It says, give us today the food we need. Give us today the food we need. In a lot of translations, it's give us this day our daily bread. Now, it's, it kind of feels weird if you're just reading the passage straight through. Straight through, Like, Jesus goes from, hey, pray about God's kingdom and his will, and now you're praying about food. Like, I don't know about you, but that kind of feels like one extreme to the other. Like, the glorious eternal kingdom of God and then the food on my table. Like, those are two big extremes. And, like, food, food is amazing. Like, Amanda and I were about to go away on a trip, and one of the things I love most about going away on a trip is, hey, what good food are we going to eat? We're going to splurge a little. We're going to buy some extra good food. We're going to have steak, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to go out to eat. Super excited. But, like, why does God care about us asking him and praying for food? Like, why bread? Back in Jesus' day, bread, and I think in our day as well, bread is kind of like the main food supply, right? It's kind of like the most basic food item we can think of. And especially in Jesus' day, um, people didn't go to the grocery store and have like a thousand different kinds of bread to eat. They had bread, and they ate bread. And bread, as that kind of basic food source, it also kind of symbolizes just all the basic needs of life. And Martin Luther, um, uh, one of the, a famous church father, he said this. He said, everything necessary for the preservation of this life is bread. Everything necessary for the preservation of this life is bread. Jesus, when he says, give us this day our daily bread or give us the food we need, he's saying, hey, we're now asking God to meet every single need we have down to the littlest thing. It's an invitation to come to our Father and say, hey, Dad, I need this. Will you please provide? Hey, Dad, I need help here. Will you please provide? It's an invitation to ask God for food and clothes and shelter and our emotional needs and the strength to make it through the day. and Anything we need that will help preserve this life is bread. It's that daily food. And so we can bring anything, any need we have before God. Big or small. And just sit, again, sit with that contrast of praying for God's kingdom. And now Jesus is like, God also cares about the littlest need you have in your life. About the, the, the littlest thing that's on your heart. God cares about both. And I don't know about you, but I often miss opportunities to ask God to meet, to provide for my daily bread. Like, there's so many needs God has provided for me today, this past week, that I, I never asked him for. And yet he's continually just provided. I mean, the breath that I needed, the food I needed, the sleep I needed, the shelter I have, the clothes on my back. Like, I didn't think about those things hardly at all this week until I sat down at the table or I or I dreamed about our trip, thinking about the food we are going to eat. Like, I didn't think about those basic needs very much, and yet God constantly provided. 
He's thinking about our needs even when we don't. Because he's a good, loving, accessible father who's for us, not against us. Have you ever been around a whiny kid? Has everyone ever been around a whiny kid? Maybe you have a whiny kid. Maybe you've been that whiny kid. I've been that whiny kid before. Like when you're in the grocery store and the kids just, they're just going on and on about something they want. And you can just, you see mom and dad and you're like, they're, they're done of hearing their kid's voice. Like they're just, they're done. Think about our God. He never tires of hearing our voice. Never. He wants us to come before him asking for the things we need because it's, it's a relational experience. He's the perfect father. He wants us to come to him. And when we, when we pray asking for our needs, I think it, it forces us to stop and humbly admit, I'm a needy person. Now, you, I don't know if you've uh, uh, ever thought of someone as needy or heard someone talk like, they're needy. Like, usually when someone describes someone as needy, it's not a compliment, right? It's usually not a good thing. But here, Jesus is inviting us to recognize our daily needs and to humbly realize we are way more needy than we want to let on. Especially as an adult, uh, when, especially as the type of people that get something and just start putting it together before going to the instruction book. Like We don't think we have many needs, oftentimes. Or at least I, I can be there. And I want to be self-sufficient. I want to be seen as the type of person who can... I don't need anyone. I can do this on my own. I'm independent. But everything I have in life to live, the clothes on my back, the food I eat, the breath in my lungs, all of that has ultimately come from our Heavenly Father. And again, when we approach God asking Him for our needs, I think it again, I think we can twist it in our sinfulness and we can make it all about our greeds rather than our needs. You know what I'm talking about? But when we come before him daily saying, Lord, I please help. I need this. Lord, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this day without your help. Please help me, Daddy. And when we come before him in that type of posture, again, it's, it's in humility. It's in honesty. It's recognizing that he is our Heavenly Father and he is in heaven as our Creator. So I want to encourage you, maybe spend some time thinking about the needs that you have in your life and just ask, have I, have I actually asked God to meet these needs? I know there's been times in my life where I'm like, man, I need this, and then I'm processing, like, why hasn't God met this? And then I think it's like, oh, I haven't really asked him for this. Like, I haven't gone to my Heavenly Father and asked him. And then there's other times where I process, like, no, he met this need, and I haven't thanked him for it. And so I'd encourage you to do that as well. Maybe process, hey, what are the needs God has providing in my life that I haven't thanked him for? And just spend some time worshiping him and thanking him for that. But ultimately, I want us to see that God is a caring provider. He's a caring provider. And do we approach him as such? Do we approach God as that vending machine in the sky where if I just say the right words and I do the right thing, I'm going to get what I want? Or do we approach him as a heavenly father, knowing that he's for me, he's not against me, but he's also the king over my life. And so I can bring my request to him 
But as a good father should, he may say no. But he's for me, and so he may say yes. And he may give me what I need, not necessarily what I want. Last week, Pastor Corey made this statement. He said that prayer can be blatantly obvious, but incredibly difficult. And I just have been sitting with that reality this week. It's like, yeah, this, this concept of talking to the God of the universe, it just, in one sense, it just seems so easy, but on another sense, this may be the most difficult thing in my life. For me to humbly get beyond myself and to come before God and to know he's for me and to not believe the lies that he's against me and to just talk to him as my heavenly father, to pray with his priorities in mind first and foremost, but then also to take every need before him. Like That is a difficult thing to do, especially as life gets busy and as stresses build up. And as there's things to do, there's work, there's chores, there's family, there's soccer games, there's all sorts of things. And when life gets hard, we need to pray. And Jesus models that for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that word is hard, Garden of Gethsemane. Before his darkest hour, Jesus prayed before his heavenly Father, but Jesus didn't just pray in his darkest hour. And I think, again, I'll speak for me. My temptation can be, I'm going to come to God when life starts to get a little cloudy, when life starts to get a little hard. And we should do that. But what if I went to God when life wasn't just hard, when, life, when I didn't just need help? What if my posture in life was, I'm in a relationship with the God of the universe, and I have the opportunity and the privilege, and as a follower of Jesus, I am commanded to talk to him and to build this relationship with him. And what if I went before him out of joy, desiring to praise him? And what if I went before him realizing, hey, he has priorities for this world and for my life that may be a little different than mine. And So maybe I should ask him, hey, how can I help build your kingdom here and now, Lord? How can your will be done in my life? Jesus modeled for us a life of prayer. In Mark 1, we see that before, the, before daybreak, it says, Jesus got up and went to an isolated place to pray. And we see that in some other places as well, where Jesus, he models this life of prayer before his disciples and before us. And like, hey, it's not just when life gets hard that we should pray. We should be praying always. My challenge for us this week is for us to evaluate, are we listening to Jesus' instructions? We've looked at kind of the wrong ways, but now are we actually going to listen to the instructions? Or are we going to put the instruction manual on the shelf? Because we either don't think it's important, or we think we know better. And so let's listen to Jesus' instructions this week, and let's actually take some time to maybe process, what is my prayer life? Like, is it, is it, do you have a prayer life? Is it there? What sorts of things do you pray for? And actually sit and just process and talk to God about it. And I have four questions just to help us process 
this week about, hey, where is my prayer life at? How could it change? What should I be praying for? And I encourage you to uh, come back to the live stream later on to look at them or to go to the follow along and email yourself them uh, sometime today. But the first one is this. Do you ever think about prayer as a relational experience or is it strictly a transactional process for you? Like first and foremost, is prayer about a relationship or is it about just this mechanical process? And it's okay if, if prayer is just this mechanical process for you. Like again, prayer is super difficult. And so it's no shame there. Like we've all been there. I've been there. I still get there where it's just... I sit down and I pray, and then I have to catch myself and say, wait, I'm just going through the rhythm. I'm just going through a routine. It's a mechanical, transactional process. But we need to evaluate. Do I go before God as my heavenly Father, recognizing that this is first and foremost a relationship? Second, do you have time in your life to worship God in, in prayer? Or are you busy telling Him what you want? If we have time to take before God our wants and our needs, then I think we should have time to come before God to thank Him and to praise Him. Especially since that's the way Jesus starts off His instructions for us. And if Jesus starts it off this way, then I think it should be something we take seriously. Now, I don't think every time we come before God, all the aspects of this prayer necessarily have to be in every single prayer we pray. Uh, if you look in the book of Nehemiah, you know the story of Nehemiah. He was going before the king um, because he wanted to, Israel was in a foreign land. They were in exile and he wanted to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And when he's before the king, the king asks him a question and then it says he prays. And there's no recording of what he prays, but it's like in the moment. So he must have prayed in his heart for God's help. And we didn't see him kneel down and say, my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Like he, he didn't go through every single aspect of this. But again, these are the sorts of things that should be in just our prayer life in general. And if Jesus starts off with worshiping God in our prayers, then I think that that should be a, a high priority. Next question. Do your prayers reflect the things God prioritizes? Or are they all focused on you building your own kingdom here? And now, it can be so easy as life gets busy again to just want to build our own little kingdoms and want to manage our life uh, and put things in the proper place and to just get to a point where like, oh, I have it all together. But maybe God has some other priorities for your life that you're missing out on. An opportunity to reach out to somebody, an opportunity to disciple somebody, an opportunity to be praying for someone else an opportunity to encourage someone. I don't, I don't know what it could be, but maybe there's something God wants to use you for to build his kingdom here and now, for his will to be done here and now as it is in heaven. The last question is this. Do you lean on God as your provider and thank him for the things he has given you? Are you self-sufficient in your life or do you lean in to God, saying, Lord, I, I need you. Are we humble enough to be the type of people that ask him to meet our needs, but then also re recognize that, hey, I should thank him. He's my father. 
So I don't know if one of those questions hits you or if there's another thought that hits you today, but I encourage you to sit somewhere this week, today, tomorrow, and just evaluate and just ask the questions. Talk to God about, hey, maybe my prayer life needs to change a little bit. And this, just as we as we wrap up, it's not something that's going to click overnight. Because again, it's not about a process, it's about a relationship. And just like in any relationship, there are times of ups and downs. There's times of feeling close and not feeling close. And as God works in our life and he shows us new sin patterns in our life, and as we make mistakes and different things, it's about this relationship. So there's going to be seasons, I believe, in our prayer lives where we feel really close to God and other seasons where it's like, God, where are you? But when those seasons hit, we shouldn't say, man, Maybe I'm doing the process wrong. Maybe I didn't punch in the right words. Maybe this vending machine is broken. No, we should keep leaning and saying, you're my father. I need you. And humbly come before him as our father, but as our heavenly king. So let's process prayer this week. Let's listen to Jesus' instructions. And ultimately, let's continue to have a relationship and enjoy that relationship that we get the privilege and honor of having with the God of the universe. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we're just so thankful for these instructions. They are simple, but they are really hard. And so I ask and I pray that you help us. Help us to come before you. Help us to take time to put you first before ourselves. Thank you for being the God who is not only holy and reigning majestically over all things, but thank you for also being fully accessible to us and being full of love and being for us. We love you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.